Good morning, everyone. This is Kathy Mason from Mason Works Marketing here on Conscious Business Zone with my friend, Angie LaRue. Hi, Angie. Good morning. So, Angie, we are going to be talking about non-local consciousness um, as part of our talk today, because that gives people a little bit of a peek into your presentation for IONS. But let's first talk about your journey to consciousness, how, how you had that experience so people can understand your superpowers. Okay. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. So I think for me that the journey of superpowers actually began as a child, but I, I had no idea. I did not recognize it. Even traveling out of body, I think, happened um, as a child. I can go back and I, I can remember some specific events that happened, uh, but I was told it was my imagination. And it seemed different than my imagination, but I was an adult, and so I trusted the adults and then in 1996 in the Amazon basin, which I'll be talking a lot more about in my talk at Washington DC um, at the Crystal Hotel during the IONS conference. But I contracted Shigella dysentery and also got medicinal poisoning from uh, expired tetracycline, which we did not know it was expired. Uh, the pharmacy sold it in, in a Ziploc bag. So there was no way to know. And uh, I died and I left my body and was still aware and present. I just didn't have a body. Now, eventually I did return, which is why I'm here today. And when I came back, a lot of my senses seemed a lot more heightened, but I didn't know that it wasn't just some side effect from Shigella dysentery and tetracycline. But as the years went by, we reached 2011, December 9th of 2011, and I had a radical Kundalini awakening. And with that, all the abilities slammed back in and there was no denying them. And I had to learn to cope with them. And that took quite a few years. Um, I went out on the road, I became a spiritual gypsy you know, listening to the voice of spirit and my higher self alone and began training. Somewhere in that first year of the journey, which was about six solid years, somewhere in the first year, I realized what had actually happened to me in the Amazon and that we are not our brains. We are consciousness and brain is a tool to help us navigate down here in the third dimension. And so these days, my life has become a balance or balancing, it's kind of a verb, of these different states of being. Being able to move out of the body and go and see and explore and get questions answered. And being in the body and doing the everyday things that we have to do to actually take care of our body and have a human experience. So Angie, so you, you had in 2007, you had a kundalini awakening that is very similar to um, uh, spiritually transformative experiences or near-death experiences where it, it creates a exposure to a world that is totally different than this reality. How did you integrate that? I mean, you said you became a gypsy, you know, um, a wanderer <laughs> to try to integrate, but how did you have um, access to a higher self that guided you? Is that is that how you did it? Yeah, I did. Um, there was a voice in my head and not just a voice in my head, but a lot of it was kind of kinesthetic. It was urgings uh, within the body as well. And so there was just this whole other system that was informing and talking to me and being in communication. And, you know, that eventually led to the dark night of the soul. So there was this battle that took place between the ego and the brain and uh, this other intelligence that was now loudly present. 
And the brain had to reach the point of surrender. It kind of had to break. It, um, it had to admit fully on every level that it wasn't the boss of everything and that it just didn't have the access and it just didn't have the tools to answer the looming questions and situations that were now present in reality and that some other aspect of myself had that knowledge. And so this teamwork had to be developed between what was what was dimensionally appropriate, which, which aspect of the self was vested that, at whatever dimension of consciousness or reality that we were dealing with. And so we kind of had to, I ended up with a boardroom, uh, you know, and, and a number of different aspects of self sitting at the table yeah. and to learn how to be a team and work together. And brain always does try to be the boss. Like it's, it's the one that always kind of tries to take over everything, but it knows at the very root of its existence that, that it is not the best one for every part of navigating reality. It does mm -hmm. go with like 70% of it, but, <laughs> or maybe 50%. And it's very good at that part um, and needed and very important team player. But there's just a lot of reality that it just cannot handle. It, it, it doesn't have the tools. It wasn't built that way. It didn't evolve that way. Um, and it, it has to turn over the reins to other aspects of the self which were built that way and were evolved to handle those aspects. So we're talking moving through time, um, manifesting um, telepathy, psychic abilities, seeing into the future, traveling into the future, uh, also understanding all time and spaces now. And, you know, many of the other spiritual skills, healing, being able to see into the body, etc etc these are things that brain can only step down and move out of the way and let other aspects of the self do and then it can report back on that reality or it can translate things into english it does good as a translator but it can't do the doing i understand yeah so those six years from 2011 <clears throat> forward was really getting the team working together and playing together nicely in the sandbox, given the new reality that was now available and, and still is persistently existing. Right. So your, your capacity to see a bigger field and to understand and sense from a bigger awareness, I call that the sixth sense. It might be more than six. <laughs> it yeah. might be 106. But but that's what I call that. And it's very interesting to be in both the here and there. Um, and it is doable, right? It is doable. Um, if the ego can be humble enough. Um, because there's also something kind of psychotic about it. Because... <laughs> <laughs> because most of the world only experiences one reality and it's a reality of solid objects and you know it's an objective reality but there's aspects of ourself in which all of these things that we consider solid are just vibrating atoms and you can move in between them like a room full of balloons clear to the ceiling you can move through all of that and consciousness can move through all of that so you kind of juggle multiple realities, that multiple realities exist and which aspect of the self is neat, is best lined up to deal with that reality or move in that reality. And so, yeah, it's just, it's really interesting. And, and if the brain tries to think about it too hard, it'll just go crazy. Cause again, it just doesn't have the information to deal with it correctly. It, all it can do is surrender and let somebody else drive the car for a little bit. Well, one of the things that I love about you is that you're so capable of teaching this and very few people that have access to the fields that you have can articulate it. Um, it's um, mystical, but yet practical in a lot of senses. Could you talk a little bit about that? Because you, create, you founded a mystery school and so you are very capable of taking someone by the hand and helping them discover their own uh, genius in this way. Could you talk about that? Yeah, I would love to. So 
I think part of it is demystifying what we really are. So it's not that I was born with specific skills, although they did show up pretty early in life. We actually all have them. And we have them because God made us. We are children of the divine. Now, when we come into this world, we are trained to use our left brain to, to analyze, be rational, feel things, get you know proofs about things. And that works really well for living life at a particular plane of reality, which most of us would agree that is reality. But in fact, it's not. There, there is many, many more layers of reality. And God gave us aspects to perceive and work and do within those other realities. And it's not covered in school. And our families, for the most part, never talk about this to school. The church's religion suppresses it because it you know, gets in the middle of their game <laughs> and makes that a little bit of a, as a competitor uh, because a lot of religions have only, you know, one savior or a few saints and sages, special people who got these special abilities. Um, but we actually all have them. So the first level of teaching is really just kind of understanding you already are that. And we're just going to figure out the pathways to what you already have, to what you were given and then being able to clearly speak and clearly demonstrate and you know day one of class somebody is running energy day two of class we're playing with you know chi balls um so we're we retrain the brain by hands-on we're doing it and we're we're doing things you didn't know that you could do or maybe you forgot since childhood because you already played with some of us as a child so that combination of understanding what you really are and proving it to yourself through exercises which show that you actually can do this and demystifying it and removing all the fear and the programming that's around that and then continued practice in, in a variety of settings. And a lot of it is game settings. We learn best when it's fun, right? And so doing that in exciting game settings or highly. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, well, she'll be back, I'm sure. Um, so uh, what I want to explain about Angie is, again, this capacity that she has to communicate and share as a teacher is rare. She's a healer, a Christologist. She makes these amazing, this is a one that most of them are half the size. She makes these beautiful organ generators. Actually, I've got the, this is the big one. But anyway, um, but her articulation and her capacity to bring others into an understanding and a usable understanding is rare. I mean, lots of people have these gifts that they can do things themselves or they can touch the mystical part of reality and play around with it, but not very many people can take someone's hand and carry them through. I did show them this. Okay. <laughs> <you were>. okay. <laughs> yeah. This is so the, the bomb though. So alchemy is a part of the spiritual path. So it's kind of a lot of different steps on the spiritual path, different realizations. And, you know, as we open one thing, another thing opens, and we open that, another thing, and, and pretty soon it's all combining. And we end up in alchemy. And alchemy is where we become creators, like uh, the creator who made us. And we begin to pull in our, our particular knowledge um, and that creativity, that invention, that creatorship bubbles up within. And then we go down that path for a while. Um, so it's all actually very organic in a way. Like once we give permission to it, for it to unfold, our divine aspect, that indwelled God, uh, which is in us, once we claim that heritage and accept it, a lot of it unfolds organically and naturally. And it's surprising how easily things like telepathy can actually come when we make space for it in our head. And so, you know, a lot of what we do is removing stuff. So, you know, if we have a glass, right, and it's full of water, we can't really put milk in. And so, 
you know, if we pour some water out, we can put some milk in. And then we pour some more out and put some more milk in. And eventually it's going to be all milk, right? And so that's kind of what we're doing is we're clearing out a lot of past beliefs, past little stop signs inside of ourselves that said, stop here, you can't go any further or do not pass here. Uh, and we're just kind of removing that and, and giving permission increasingly to ourselves to be all that we can be and do that joyfully with curiosity. And yeah, the learning can actually come with consistency quite regular. So, but it is kind of like a martial art. You're not going to be a fourth degree black belt on year one, you know, um, that, that repetition and that, that integrating and allowing and removing that, which doesn't serve does take a little bit of time, but mastery does come. And, and once you own it, nobody can take it away. Right. Nobody can reprogram it. Once we know what we are, we don't back down from that. And what is important to us in the world changes a lot as well. And so it kind of comes together seamlessly in a beautiful way. And we kind of turn into a 2.0 version of ourselves. Oh, that's funny that you said that because I, that was my next question about the evolution of our species. Right now we're going through this time period where there's more opportunity to clear the um, the distortions, the patterns, the programs, however you want to call it, that are keeping us from joy. Because um, our parents meant well, but a lot of the um, programs that they had were fear-based. And um, you can't be creative from fear. Well, you can create more fear. <laughs> well, but you can't create love from there. It makes us controllable. So when we're afraid, we look to those who would have answers. And, you know, it that puts them in a position of power and they, they can distort it. They're either going to work from their heart to help people or they're going to work from a place of profit or power. And we're in a time where we're really getting to see um, how quickly fear can be used to distort and steal joy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so this idea of sovereignty, knowing ourself, know thyself. Well, we're moving into a new age where that actually becomes the paradigm we have to move forward on. Perfect. Perfect. So how do crystals fit into all of this? You're a Christologist. And um, that's a lot of the fun that I've had with you has been playing with crystals. Um, how does crystals fit in with this overall knowledge and supporting the field for the awakening of your students and your clients? So crystals are a couple things that are extraordinary um, uh, beyond everything that we think about, about crystals, but they produce two different types of energy. One is a, a flow energy that flows through them naturally. And the other one's a burst energy. If you crash two crystals together in the dark, you're gonna see like lightning going off in, inside of them. It's, it's really remarkable. So they're in energy form, but more than that, they're consciousness, meaning they can work with you. They respond really, love, uh, really well to love and respect. Now, when we look at our computers and our technology and our cell phones and all that, they all have crystals in them. Uh, this is what a silicon chip is. And we use them kind of brute force to make broad spectrum battery and electricity be more refined, more clear, so it doesn't burn out miniature circuit boards and such. So we use them in a very blunt force 3D kind of way, but with higher states of consciousness, we can work with crystals consciously and develop relationship and from relationship from from love blooms all kinds of new possibilities and new potentials and so now we can work with the natural essence of crystals what they naturally do which is reorder straighten up clean up energy and then output that okay you know with a consciousness with teamwork and create all kinds of new things. So yeah, crystals are kind of the base of the energy in Lemuria, jumping forward to Atlantis, the same, and here we are again. 
So even just working with crystals, but it not just as a mineral or something, you know, that's useful to us, but with consciousness unfolds all kinds of new potential and collaboration that can happen. So, and quartz crystals is particularly good at that. When you get into, you know, the, the denser types of things, um, these aren't as programmable. They do have consciousness, but it, everything's kind of slower and heavier and denser. Um, where uh, the ability to stream light, stream photons, makes quartz crystals more activated. They're kind of the smartest child in the class, right? <laughs> and so the ability for light to penetrate, you know, be absorbed and flow through um, increases the potential to be able to work with in a teamship and collaborate with a crystal to create new potentials, new energy forms, new everything. So I'm showing your website um, with your crystal bed array, which is behind you right now, which is a tool that you create, that you downloaded and created that um, shows the piezoelectric um, uh, effect um, with the light streaming of, of the currents. And, and could you explain a little bit about that? I, I'd love for you to explain, let's see if I can get it to go, this process of not only using the bed, but using the crystal arrays. Could you talk with that and speak with that? So the bed is based on um, ancient Lemurian technology of how they ordered stone slabs into certain orders to create kind of a, a healing bed. Uh, which refurbished the cells and extended life and amplified healing, et cetera, et cetera. So I basically went back to that, uh, studied it, brought the knowledge forward and rebuilt it uh, in a modern version, meaning, you know, I can't get big one ton slabs. <laughs> I can get lots of small pieces and put them together. <laughs> so. Ouch, ouch, ouch. A weight loss program. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Sorry. And so that's really what we're looking at with the organ generator crystal biobed. So it's based on the layering of single lung chain organics with various minerals and crystals. And it has um, a crystal core in the center and then uh, layers going from foot to the head of different types of minerals, which support um, the health and vitality of you know, the blood, the muscle tissue, the tendons, the organs, the organs of elimination, organs of process and digestion, um, the brain stem, the brain. We have a, a lot of different organs that do different things uh, and different systems that do different things. And so the minerals are ordered to support that. So when you lay on the bed and, and, um, it, and it has a right side and a wrong side, but you don't want to put your head where the foot is because the way the magnetics are set up. So there's a magnetic field as well. So I'm pulling forward a lot of information in the alchemy of what I do. So when a person lays on, they're laying on it, they're laying on an organized energy field specifically dedicated to each different region of their body. And then on top of that, <clears throat> I'll do a crystal array. So the crystal arrays are quartz crystals with their energy specifically pointing to the next crystal in the row to make uh, a grid. And there's many different grids depending what it is we wanna access either in the body, the mind, or spiritually. And so we can evolve any area um, by doing this. And it's all powered by the organ generator crystal bio bed. So the crystal um, array is the specific, specified specific thing that that we're doing and the argon generator crystal bio bed is the power source that powers that well so i think that. you're part of the formula <laughs> when, when i've been there and i i watched you work on someone's hip and they had been told they needed surgery and after three sessions they the their hip was repaired as though it had been replaced. I know that you're a big part of the healing 
um, with the bed and the crystals. But I want to, um, that, you know, um, Lizzie's in, in England and she says, some time ago during sleep, I used to get covered by some of my crystals. Must have been doing it sleepwalking. So she she's saying that um, that uh, she didn't realize. She said, "Wow, that's exactly how I used to wake up." So so the the um, the the helpers and guides that we have in non physical sometimes make it available it's just like synchronicities well it's impossible and it's in when when our body and mind is asleep our consciousness is not and it can leave the body study the body do healings on the body and and it can have the body even while it sleeps get crystals and set it in specific places so um, I, I remember one time I got a phone call from a woman who built a crystal bed a crystal grid underneath her bed the next day she checked on it and it had completely reordered itself into a different configuration. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, so it is amazing what we can do when consciousness is allowed to direct the body. Right? And if the mind is asleep, it's not in the way and it's not interrupting things and second guessing it. Okay. So, so I see you have this beautiful selenite slab behind you. And um, so, and could you tell us a little bit about the the well, the selenite and what it does for the room and and how that helps people? So, in the in our natural world, uh, everything has a frequency. So, everything that exists vibrates. Everything that vibrates does that at a certain vibrational rate, which we call frequency. Um, so, it it's a it's a sine wave. And frequency is the measurement of one peak to the next peak. So in the natural world, selenite, right, right behind me. <laughs> you got it. Is vibrates at 244.5 megahertz. The only thing that vibrates higher is the dew on the puddles of roses. Um, it vibrates at 320 to 350 megahertz. You know, depending on the health of the rose, the soil, et cetera, et cetera. So 244.5 is a bridge state to the fifth dimension or to the angelic realms. And so basically that is kind of the cornerstone of the room that all the other crystals, and there are many in the room, kind of set themselves to or within an, the octave that they can reach of that energy that's output from there. And so there's a chorus or a container of harmonious energy in this room, which also amplifies. And then there's some additional gridding in this room so that when I close the door over here, the energy begins to swell and build up and get very saturated in this room. So if I'm not doing healing work or psychic work or teaching students, I keep the door open so that energy uh, doesn't blow up and you know build up and blow my mind. And now I can't do, you know, paperwork and computer stuff that that I need to do. I can't do scheduling because now I'm in psychic space. So I'm able to control the buildup of energy, um, but it's set to 244.5 megahertz, and it's just a matter of saturation rate, which I can then control. Um, through the gridding and the rule sets in the room. Uh, right. and, and indeed on this entire floor of the building. Yes, you can feel it as you're walking up the steps, you guys. Yeah. Well, um, the, what I wanted to um, share is that the, um, the balance and the container that you created with all these um, friendly helpers is, um, is an ad, is an, um, uh, accelerator where you're healing and your psychic work. And so um, if for people that cannot come to Boulder, Colorado and get on the bed, um, they can still have some of these processes done remotely because of the nature of the tools that Angie has created this um, container for specifically for um, conscious development, really, conscious and, and physical um, uh, realignment, right? Right. 
Right. So what a teacher, a, a spiritual teacher or a guru or, you know, an esoterical teacher does is they hold a field. That field has the blueprints and the knowledge within it. And that helps us to accelerate or learn faster. So if our teacher is a sophist, meaning they read it in the book and they're teaching somebody else's reality, not a reality that they have embodied and dwelled and can use, we learn much slower. But if the teacher themselves can do it and is on and do it in their own ongoing studies of that, they hold a field and that field has accelerated knowledge in it. So even on Zoom, I can extend the field and the field for me is supported by this room and I can extend that over the Zoom. So those who are energy aware can already feel the energies um, that are coming through the screen to them. Right. So this understanding of how energy flows works can be turned up, can be turned down, and can be modulated within the frequency is an important understanding for us as humans for evolving our consciousness, increasing healing, and um, moving out of wounds, which everybody has as just kind of part of being a human is the bumps and and and, and cuts and indignities. Um, but we get where we can become very neutral and actually even use those as tools of the evolution of consciousness and to increase our compassion for others. So it's interesting how given the right setting, everything can be turned around to our advantage for us. Right. right. And that's part of the benefit of these. When you start to expand your field of awareness, which is what I'm calling it, um, that's when people say, oh, I'm in the flow or my intuition is working. When you start to have the field inform you in a different way, all of a sudden um, your, your fears uh, seem to um, transform, transmute, and the the game is on. The it's it's life becomes play instead of struggle. Victimization leads to um, to a whole another way of showing up courageously. It's it's quite amazing how this affects um, not just your physical body but your emotional body, your spiritual body. So so let's go back to consciousness since we started there because that's what this bigger awareness is. It's whatever aspect of consciousness you are comfortable or you're ready to play in, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So so do you want to talk a little bit about non-vocal consciousness? Because what, what we're talking about first is in your classes, you teach people how to um, baby step their way into their awareness that they're already doing it, that they can finish other people's sentences or that if they're highly sensitive, they're already feeling the whole space. Um, but but you get them so that it's a tool kit rather than a inconvenience, right? Mm -hmm. Some people it is an inconvenience. <laughs> um, they, they do things and they didn't intend to, but, but the non-local consciousness that you are going to be talking about at IONS and that you you um, did a beautiful presentation at uh, Society for Scientific um, Exploration in Boulder. Um, could you talk a little bit about the non-local consciousness next? Okay. Absolutely. So I'll kind of start from the big picture. And the big picture, when God brings a piece of consciousness into reality. Um, that piece of consciousness becomes self-determining and it gets to decide what it wants to be. In this iteration, the piece of consciousness, which I'll call my higher self, which is probably an aspect of, high, of Oversoul, chose to come into a family, be born as a baby called Angie. That becomes like uh, a suit of clothing. Right. So for right now, consciousness is experiencing the third dimension Earth through the vessel called Angie. All right. Angie is the operating system for that consciousness. Consciousness or higher self has had many other vessels as well and will have many more in the future. Right. So Angie is a vessel for consciousness. 
when Angie sleeps, the body sleeps and the mind sleeps, this is the close, consciousness can move out of it, out of body. This is, this is what the lucid dreams and the astral travel and that kind of thing are. However, there are states of being that we can access that without being asleep. And now we're able to return to the body, to the mind, and give those memories to the mind, right? Um, so we call this particular one theta state. So there's um, alpha, beta, beta, delta, and then there's actually a state called gamma that's above alpha. And this is a super, super fast thinking, reacting seamlessly. For the most part, we're running around in, in alpha state. But theta state is where we become more consciously flowy and are able to, uh, to move our consciousness out of our body. So that's essentially what remote viewing is as well. And remote viewing can be trained up to the point it becomes a bilocation where you can be simultaneously in a room and exploring a civilization on another con uh, on another world right so this is the non-localness of consciousness where where the body and mind hold a container and an existence in this reality but consciousness can move out of that body in that container and go to other places and return back and that experience is um, absorbed and reported then by the mind so but the mind actually becomes the witness to the experience instead of the experiencer of the experience and i i hope that makes sense <laughs> <laughs> oh well <laughs> <laughs> well basically what we're I, i'm going to do the um the short version the uh, the summary is that you can be aware of multiple locations at one time without conflict, without um, actually with ease and experience and grow your knowledge and your sensory perception that way. It is, it is a quantum field that we live in. It, where we in language condense it to one field or we have to condense it to be um, shared our actual awareness is collating for multiple realms and they might be in multiple places i'm going like this just because that's the space we have in this here but it's <laughs> yeah, so we, we call those frequency domains so whatever um before we go into theta state, whatever we can tune our body, our mind, our consciousness to, whatever level of frequency, then when we get out of our vehicle and go walking in that new frequency domain, we we have access to it. Perfect. Perfect. So we, we do, we have to tune our consciousness to the domain or the reality or the experience that we want to be in, which is why astral travel can be a little dicey because we're doing it because it is what we are and what we can do. Um, but whatever our experience was during the day before we went to sleep, whatever as we went to sleep frequency we were in is going to determine what level of the astral realms we go into. And so we could, you know, end up in anything from heaven to hell. Right. right? And right. so we travel consciously, it's the same way we want to, before we leave, we want to tune ourselves to the reality that we want to experience. There's a lot of good stuff out there um, to experience and right. tune yourself to 528 hertz, the frequency of love. It's a great place to start for exploring right. the greater reality. That's why people um, talk about having gratitude practice at the end of the day and dumping anything. But also there's lots of ways to uh, have answers for questions, problem solving when you go to sleep and let your let your higher self do all the work and you wake up popped with, oh, cool, I know what to do now, exactly. right? Yeah, and a lot of, so part, when we go to sleep, a small percentage of what we do is we jump forward uh, to the next day and we run out the next day and we, and most of what we do is very repetitive and we don't even need to check it again. 
but there's certain interactions or choice points or, or pivotal moments in each day where um, we do want to kind of get that information back to the brain. And that's why sometimes when situations come up, we're like, ooh, deja vu, that, this feels familiar. Or somebody says something and we're like, did you say that before? And it's like a memory because we've already checked out the day and what was going to happen. And so we have this deja vu moment. Um, and you know, if we can consciously use that ability even more, we can make better choices in the moment of now as we hit it because we, we've already played out both timelines. So if, if I make the choice to do the thing, if I don't make the choice to do the thing, because we've already checked it out, out of uh, when we left our body at night. So a small percentage of what we do uh, during those eight, seven to nine hours that we sleep or six to nine hours that we sleep is checking out the day. And, th and that's actually not that much of time because so much of what we do is repetitive anyway. Um, another thing that we do is um, we spend time with loved ones and friends. We help people. Uh, maybe we go heal some people. Um, and then some of it, we're just, you know, having a, cup of joe in the astral um, with our angels, our guides, our friends, our higher self, um, or returning to source to rest and renew. So there's there's a lot of things I've discovered that we do during the night, and I don't think I know everything. I think there's still a lot I don't understand. So. It seems like a lot of this also, it, it's integrating as, as it's needed. So yeah, the, the um, access of consciousness to the data that we're collecting, it's, it may not all, it's like getting a download and you don't, you hear a noise, but you don't know what it said and it unpacks. It's almost like that as you are uh, available is more of the levels of awareness are available to you. You may not integrate them into some way of understanding, but part of this is trust. You trust in the um, that that you're protected and that this whole journey is supposed to be a grand a grand adventure rather than a struggle, right? Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because on a higher level, we do know everything. We do understand everything. But when it filters down to our human brain, which is so very limited, um, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a very big mystery that we're it's like a big puzzle we're trying to put together and we're trying to solve at this level. Right. right. At right. higher levels we understand, we get it, you know. Yeah. So there is kind of there is kind of a you know, seek and find game aspect to it at the at the human level. Right, yeah. right. I, I do think this is a game. And um and and but it's not a game necessarily win lose game. It's just supposed to be a joyful play, just like Shakespeare said, that all the world's a stage. Um and that's I really think that that's um if we got back to that kind of fun part of it that we would be what better served than the power over to win that game. That's yeah. That's yeah. It's a, it is definitely a, um, a happier path in life to step out of the mainstream um, and become more sovereign and more independent and not be led in our beliefs, but discover who we are and live from our soul's knowledge of many lifetimes and many iterations. Yes. Yes. I, um, we're here for the fun and um, we forgot. That's all. Right. <laughs> well, you know, it, it is a garden. You know, the Garden of Eden still exists, but it's at a higher level of consciousness. Right. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So, um, Ange, let's go back to a little bit, uh, a little preview of um, uh, your talk for IONS, if you wouldn't mind, so that people could get an understanding about how you used your superpowers in an in a actual um, study at the University of Colorado um, with a graduate student, um, or a, I'm not sure what his, his uh, title was. Happy. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I'll 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 let you um, present. And and again, I'll show at the very end. I can show the IONS website um, to help um, anchor this if you want. Okay. So in the talk, I'll I'll begin with the Amazon story, which I which I touched on just a little bit here, um, and a lot of how that didn't sink in at the time because there was nobody in my reality who had ever even heard of a near-death experience. And uh, so so people thought I had had some kind of hallucination and were trying to convince me that I did. I knew better because I actually did have a lot of hallucinations from the poisoning. And uh, so I was a very on-the-spot, in-the-moment expert of, of what is a hallucination of, of the mind from poisoning versus what is an experience I don't have a context for. And the uh, lack of understanding of that delayed my being able to move forward until 2011 when I had the spontaneous awakening of consciousness. And within days, I actually suddenly for the first time understood what happened back in the Amazon. And my curiosity about everything and um, you know, especially other worlds and other cultures and other ships and all kinds of things led me to do a tremendous amount of exploration. And I've done hundreds of out-of-body travels, um, including taking other people with me and all of us being able to collectively report on a shared experience. And so that did lead to, well, originally the university had put out a call for uh, people who could influence a random number generator that was on a computer. And I I actually wasn't interested because it was kind of child's play and, and I, I had nothing to prove and, and it just wasn't that interesting to me. But people in the community kept telling me, Angie, this is right up your alley, you should go and do this. And I actually finally ran into uh, the young man who was heading up that project and he got, he got me very excited to go and so I did. And of course, I was able to influence a random number generator. And I did that by jumping inside the computer. Because <laughs> 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 that was most effective. <laughs> so that then, uh, once he discovered what he did and saw the results, that then led to a second project, which was a time jump project. And they had me jumping forward um, to the lotteries uh, on Friday, the big lottery in Florida um to predict the numbers uh, my battery is low um all right kathy you want to talk i apparently do not have a battery um, okay no? <laughs> okay whoops there we go so um actually i'm gonna pull you off for a second okay so um what we're what we're um sharing today is um the angie has a, a remarkable capacity to be able to use, okay, so I guess you can come back. There we go. To use her superpowers to help others. And it's not just in a healing realm. This is also remote viewing and other um, capacities. So go, I'm gonna give you the screen again. There we go. So we worked that uh, time jump project um, using a variety of techniques, out-of-body travel, uh, remote viewing, to make sure I was in the, at the right time in the right place in the right timeline. Because uh, when you move out of body, there isn't an anchor for the time. And I was like giving correct predictions for lotteries three months ago, and so we had to. I had to learn to be able to anchor where it was in time they wanted me to be, and then report back. But I was reporting back using. Um, well, under a process that it actually isn't the best because uh, it was kind of using third dimensional skills on a third dimensional subject. Um, numbers are abstract in the first place and um, the icky sticky energy around lotteries um, also was a difficulty to deal with when in an out-of-body state. So I think the project can be done um, in a different way and be every bit as um, effective. Um, uh, but having said that, um, we inc increased the prediction rate of the lottery from one in 300 million to one in 
100 million and and a few times one a little little small tiny bit um you know i don't know that that's the best application though for using this and it's not the best application for me it's far more interesting to me um to explore other worlds and other cultures but that's you know that's just my particular motivation that's how i like to play in the garden versus you know rigorous scientific um experimentation which not that yeah, well, I, I was amazed that um, you were working with the lottery. What would happen if you would have won? Would you have split the proceeds or? <laughs> uh, yes, actually, there, we did have a small contract saying that that would, you know. That oh, that would... okay. <laughs> oh, I, I thought that was a clever test. I mean, you could have tested lots of other things, missing people, um, uh, uh, paranormal activity, um, could have uh, done weather, volcano, you could have done a lot under, un, uh, if there's cities under the um, surface, you could have gone to there and, and, and had stuff like that, but to try to win the lottery using your superpowers, that's clever. That was clever. Well, you know, it was interesting because, and you probably remember the story when I was originally jumping to the lottery building in Florida, I found other people there out of body as well. So I, you're not the only one doing it. Not the only one doing that. And I actually had a wrestling match um, with, this, with this, this big, huge woman uh, as we were both trying to get front position in front of the power balls as they came down, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, there's a lot of ways to access this and through a lot of traditions. And so, yeah, I, I'm wow. certainly the only one. So do you think people are doing that in Las Vegas too? I mean, oh, sure. yeah, but the, yeah. the house always wins. So how, well, so the house has learned that there's people like me, um, and they're on the lookout for that. So if you see somebody who keeps winning a lot, you come and interrupt them and distract them or you you send somebody to befriend them to distract them to mess up their mojo and if that doesn't work you escort them out because we can affect the machines right um wow yeah we can know which one-armed bandit is getting ready to come out next we can you know make a roulette ball drop where we need it we can take a deck of cards or multiple decks of cards and manifest the cards that we need out of a raw, you know, shuffle. In fact, eventually at some point, uh, my advanced students and I will be going to the Black Heart um, Casino <laughs> um, because it's it's good practice. It, it, you know, in the school setting with all of this energy, you learn very, very quickly, but the real world has a lot of random energies and random influences and lots of other things going on. And so when you start moving into mastery, you need to go into an adverse situation to really know and to really hone your training. And so going into a casino with the pressure of money and all the different emotions and stuff coming off of other people, and then whatever the, you know, the house is doing, and they've got a lot of behind the scene things that are, that are going on. So you're going basically into a, a situation that's stacked against you and using your own personal mastery to hold your own and, and and accomplish what it is you want. So that's kind of, if it was a martial art uh, training, this is like, you know, your third degree black belt test. Wow. Is into a casino, right? Because wow. it's, it's stacked against you um, energetically, psychologically, emotionally, uh, just, just about on every level. Wow. So, so um, the next time, if you do a process like that, you would do it differently. But, um, but the the thing that I remembered is that you were not in the ninety percent accurate. Correct? It was what was yeah. the percentage? Yeah, it, it was pretty high. Yeah, and now you know because of the way our left brains think, um, we're going to say, oh, but she didn't win the lottery, so it doesn't count. And that's fine. We can say anything we want. Um, and and I didn't care. I didn't. I didn't have an out. I didn't have an outcome in that. You know. Instead, we were looking at you know the, the six possible for each number of the in in the lottery. 
you know, we were looking at the actual results. But the way the lottery is done, you can have five of those numbers right, but if you don't have the Powerball, you don't win. Right. So, but in terms of statistics and math, um, you can have very different results that are very high end versus even whether you won the lottery or not. So, yeah. Well, um, how many people did he do that test with? Was it, it whittled down to just you or were there well, others? I thought it was just me. Now the random number generator, I don't know, they had 20 or 30 participants in that oh. one. But, but I think this one was, I thought was just me, but there was a point late in the testing in about the third month where I was jumping, by that time, the jump point was his bedroom um, off campus uh, because we ran into some problems with, with um, uh, I don't wanna say. Okay. Uh, but some experiments were happening on campus. Um, caused some time warped or uh, tears, rifts in the time-space construct. Okay. <laughs> and I was getting sucked into them, so we had to move. Uh, the experiment jump point to a more energetically stable place, which became his bedroom. And there was one time when I ran into a wormhole intersecting mine. So understanding that traveling out of body, you create a wormhole, you travel in the wormhole to your destination. So you have a controlled container you're traveling in. And I ran into a wormhole that intersected mine. I followed it and landed in the wrong place had to backtrack to where that traveler went wrong and and take a different branch to get back on track to arrive at the correct time um, where the experiment was set up. And when I questioned him afterwards, I was like, do you have somebody else jumping to your bedroom? Because I just ran into another tunnel. Somebody else had been there. And that's when he admitted, admitted yes, there was a woman named Alexandra, Alessandra. Uh, who was jumping out of Italy as well and working on the experiment. And oh. yeah, we just basically crossed wormholes in the etheric. Yeah. And and are the wormholes stable enough that they they stay in place? Yes. Um so so if For you a did... little bit. Yeah. So if you if you get lost like a fork in a worm wormhole, you can backtrack. Now will that wormhole be there tomorrow? Probably not. But oh, they're, okay. they're stable for a little bit. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's within hours. I see. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I learned a lot today. Thank you. And so now there's naturally occurring wormholes. Um, and those are a lot more stable, uh, but they're not perfectly stable either because, uh, because the solar system in the universe is a moving thing. And so you get eclipses and things that move and block a wormhole for a little while before moving on. Um, and there's a lot of other factors I don't understand as well about naturally occurring um, wormholes. So, so you probably don't, you probably watch the moon cycles and some of the cycles to make sure you don't jump in those time periods or do, do you? I don't because, because it's too complex and I don't understand it. Uh, wormholes are piercing through, and not in a linear way, they're, they're folding the space-time construct. So even if I understood the orientation and the alignments of where planets, moons, asteroids, and everything else are, it, it's not gonna make any difference when I'm in a folded plane piercing through. I, like, I, it's just too many moving parts. So what happens is if I hit a blockage or I hit a wormhole that's collapsing, which has happened before, actually I had to be rescued one time, which is a whole nother story, but um, another being who actually knew me from another planet came in and rescued me and another traveler who ended up in a collapsing wormhole, um, which they had actually put a block on the entrance of the wormhole so that I wouldn't use it. I didn't understand that why they didn't want me to use it, but they knew there was an eclipse that was happening that was gonna collapse the wormhole. Oh. And I, I got caught in the collapsing wormhole and they had to extract me. So next time I use the natural wormhole, um, I'll be aware if there's a block that actually means something and, and not use it. So, but for the most part, I create my own wormholes and that seems to go a lot better. Oh, great. Okay. Well, I'm now going to um, show the IONS event that we're both going to be at this next week um, in uh, near Washington, D.C. in Virginia. 
And this is the website conference.ions.org. And Angie will be one of the presenters there explaining about non-local consciousness. Oops, sorry. Um, let me stop here for a second. It, it does this sometimes, sorry. Um, but uh, what, what uh, the opportunity is for people to, if they, they are um, not able to come in person, they can still buy a ticket and, and join us online and get this wonderful opportunity to learn about um, these are uh, a lot of these are researchers these people are highly skilled these are doctors and lawyers and research here's another remarkable researcher um oops it did again sorry so i guess i'm not supposed to show it for that long um <laughs> doesn't want to show so but uh, anyway we want to invite people to go to conference.ions.org and um join us online if you can't come in person because um they are recording most of the event and um, i think you have 90 days afterwards to watch the recordings, even if you buy a ticket and come in person. So um, I know what I do is I, I, I'm a volunteer, so I don't get to see hardly anything while I'm there. So um, I do get to watch the recordings and that's what I do with a TV table for a month or so afterwards is every night watch one because what you'll find is there'll be so many answers to your journey here that will change the way you look at your um, capability to love, be loved, contribute in service to others. It's so, so many beautiful things that um, it's an uncommon mix of uh, special people that have either had near-death experiences or have had um, spiritually transformative experiences or both many people have had multiple experiences of both kinds that um that are examples of how to be courageous in this life because they they got a perspective of what this really is rather than the victimization model so that's ions which is international association for near-death studies and i think this is our 41st year of, of being in existence. Yeah, it's quite remarkable. I can't wait, Ange, for you to experience the energy. I, you know, I wish so much that I had known this existed um, when I died and left my body back in the Amazon. And I had no resources and nobody I knew had heard anything about it. And I had no way to process it. And I think if I had it, um, I could have avoided this, you know, the radical God slap in 2011 that caused me to awaken. And I could have moved gently step by step to arrive at the same place, probably by the same time or, or near enough. Right. And instead of having to get the God smack, which it doesn't matter. It's fine. I lived through it, but, but it was probably one of the best, biggest experiences in my life, even larger than, than uh, dying and leaving my body in the, in the Amazon. Right. Well, that's what the beauty of this is, is um, because there's usually no words for the experience and there's um, a, a sense of longing to go back to the experience, but not having the tools to know how to have that. And now that they know about you and your school, they can start to have tools that could bring them more into an understanding and a utilization of the data that was uh, revealed that field of love and that field of possibility that's available to all of us is, um, is, um, is possible through Angie's teachings. So I wanna encourage everyone to go to your website. How's the best way to reach you? Uh, definitely through the website. There's a contact page and my website, maybe you can put it up. Is, I have been. Oh, okay. Uh, Crystal Arrays, one word, dot com. C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-A-R-R-A-Y-S.com. And you can actually uh, register to join the Mystery School um, from that point. 
and you'll either slide into an existing class, depending what you already know, or we'll have one-on-ones until you're caught up and can slide uh, into it. Classes are an hour and a half. We meet once a week for an hour and a half and it's $40. Um, and the reason that's not 60 or $80 that, you know, the more going rate out there um, is because this is my job and I just need enough to, you know, to pay for the Zoom, pay to keep the lights on, pay for the office. I'm not, I'm not here trying to, you know, get a Lamborghini or anything else. Um, in fact, you know, that kind of thing would be um, counteractive to the path I'm actually on. So, right, right. Um, just a fair exchange of energy and um, it's very, it's very reasonable. Right. Well, I want to encourage everyone to go to crystalarrays.com and I'll make sure that um, the link is in every one of the comment sections. And um, please, please, if you're interested in the near death studies, which is um, another expansive experience of the articulation of these people um, that have had mystical experiences, actually bring you along with them, the books, you feel like you're on a journey with them, please join us because this is the big picture and um, there is a pathway to it. So thank you so much, Ange. I can't wait to be with you again. I love you very much. Thank you, dear. So um, we're gonna sign off now, but please guys, please check out Angie and check out the IONS event. Thank you. Thank you, thank you.